This is Josh Kanak, and I'm a sales agronomist in CHS Ag Services in Hazel, Minnesota. We're pleased to bring you this update from the Red River Farm Network, CHS Ag Services, providing solutions for your success. Thursday Farm News on the Red River Farm Network. I'm Randy Conan. We'll also hear from Don Wick and Sierra Doctor. The National Association of Farm Broadcasting Convention is underway in Kansas City, and the Red River Farm Network team is connecting with some local ag leaders. Here's farm broadcaster Don Wick. With us now, Tim Swanson from CHS Agronomy. He's based in Grand Forks, North Dakota, here at our National Association of Farm Broadcasting meeting with a look at this 2022 growing season. A lot of uh, frustration this spring watching, watching it rain and rain and rain, wondering when we're going to get in the field, and, and turned out to be just a, actually a pretty phenomenal year. Most crops were really good in most areas, had enough moisture to carry us through. Um, fantastic fall to get the work done, get the crop in the bin for the most part, or, or, or to the elevator. So, yeah, I think it was a, a, a really exciting year uh, with a lot of opt optimism as we head into uh, 2023. How much concern do you have as far as the, the the soil moisture profile that we have for next year? Yeah, so it's always water, right? Um, I, I think we, we're definitely in need of some moisture. Um, you know, we'll see what this winter brings. we got a little snow already. Um, obviously, we're going to need some moisture to replenish that, and, and yeah, all we can do is wait on the weather and see what see what it delivers us. Uh, when we talk about the the fertilizers story as we go into uh, this past year and, and and moving forward, we know there's a lot of logistic issues. How do you how do you feel uh, as far as getting product out to growers this uh, this spring? Yeah, um, so at CHS we've done everything we can to put assets in the country and, and get them filled up and, and supply that product early. A um, lot of areas uh, got a lot of fertilizer on this fall. That's going to help out tremendously just to, uh, you know, get some more product applied and, and have some more room to get that stuff in. I think with what we've witnessed the last couple of years, right, the logistics and the chaos, uh, we don't really know what tomorrow brings, but we, we make our best plans, have some contingency plans in, in places. Um, and then a CHS, just that ability to share between um, you know, our partners in maybe a different state or a different area uh, really gives us a lot of leverage to, to make sure we have that product that the grower needs when they need it. It really is a situation, though, of a plan A and a plan B just because of where we are in this environment. Absolutely, yeah. We, I, I love farm plans and I love to have a plan in place, but that really helps us to have that plan B or that contingency plan to uh, that product isn't available or, or, you know, can I come in later in the season and do a top dress or uh, a side dress or something of that nature. That's that's going to be vital in this upcoming year, just uh, that ability to pivot uh, to make good choices. From the National Association of Farm Broadcasting Annual Meeting, I'm Don Wick on the Red River Farm Network. Sierra Doctor on the Red River Farm Network, and I'm here at the National Association of Farm Broadcasters Trade Talk with Paul Winters, Director of Public Affairs and Federal Communications for the Clean Fuels Alliance of America. To start off, the last time we talked a little bit about a new study that came out. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, we did an economic uh, impact study, released it just this week. Uh, based on the size of our uh, markets here in the United States, we are uh, producing 3.1 billion gallons of fuel. That's fully 5% of the on-road diesel market, heavy-duty transportation market here in the United States. So that's a pretty significant part of the market. It has a, a very large economic impact. It's more than uh, $23 billion worth of economic activity that is associated with our industry, and it supports more than 75,000 jobs. What other priorities do you have for sustainability, and how are you working towards them? 
Well, our fuels on average reduce carbon emissions by 70% or more. There's also a reduction in particulate emissions. So that has a, a benefit for uh, communities where heavy duty transportation is, is kind of a, a hub and uh, reducing those particulate emissions can bring health benefits for those communities. So uh, we have uh, released other studies on, on various communities showing the reduction in asthma, the reduction in cancer burdens, and the uh, reduced health care costs associated with those with cleaner air. What are some upcoming changes to the biodiesel tax incentives based on, on, on carbon reductions? We are uh, grateful to Congress for extending the existing biodiesel tax incentive. It's a, a dollar per gallon that, that will last through 2024 as we transition to this new clean fuel production credit. And uh, based on the average carbon reduction of 70 percent, uh, we, we are grateful that Congress uh, included all of the fuels that are associated with our industry, so biodiesel, renewable diesel, and sustainable aviation fuel. Thanks, Paul. That was Clean Fuels Alliance America, Director of Public Affairs and Federal Communications, Paul Winters. Reporting agriculture's business, I'm Sierra Doctor on the Red River Farm Network. USDA will release its latest cattle on feed report Friday. With traders watching for signs of stabilizing cattle numbers, USDA Chief Economist Seth Meyer wonders how long herd liquidations will continue. My question is, is how do we look at that for a continued decline longer run? We continue to have poor forage conditions in the West, high feed costs. So I'm continuing to watch cow slaughter, continuing to even look at anecdotal price information for heifers. Just looking there to say, when are we, when are we going to maybe turn this? And that cattle on feed report will be released at uh, 2 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. USDA also projecting a decline in meat production during the coming year. USDA Ag Outlook Board Chair Mark Jekinowski expects next year's beef production to be somewhere around 26.3 billion pounds. Down just over 2 billion pounds year over year. Lack of availability of good forage, uh, poor pasture conditions, high feed prices, tighter supplies are expected to support prices next year. Pork production is expected to increase slightly while hog prices are expected to be lower. Just a modest increase in production, up by 220 million pounds or so. Demand has been good, strong and steady, and uh, we're not anticipating any big major changes in, in production next year. Futures markets and other data that uh, is just suggesting that there's going to be some price pressure through calendar year 2023. And go to Red River Farm Network's website, rrfn.com. You can sign up for the weekly FarmNet News e-newsletter. You can also download this broadcast and, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter, all at rrfn.com. You're listening to the Red River Farm Network. Thursday Farm News on the Red River Farm Network. USDA's weekly export sales report for the week ending November 10th showed net corn sales at 1.2 million metric tons. That's 341% more than the previous week. It's also 250% more uh, than the four-week average. Soybean export sales at 3.03 million metric tons. 280% more than the previous week and 143% more than the four-week average. 
Net wheat sales coming in at 290,000 tons are 10% less than the previous week and 15% less than the four-week average. Corn and soybean expect, uh, export sales well above expectations in today's export sales report. Total farm marketing market analyst Naomi Bloom said even the wheat sales were a little bit better than expected. Wheat export sales of 290,000 metric tons, not too shabby, especially that, you know, Iraq came in and bought some wheat this week. That was impressive. Uh, corn weekly export sales at 1.1 million metric tons, and then the beans at 3 million metric tons. So a lot of these sales were announced, but there were a whole lot of sales that came in at the smaller increment numbers all week long, and that's what helped um, kind of fly under the radar, and then there was a little bit of a surprise that these numbers were maybe as big as they are. And Bloom says the market reaction to that export sales report has been rather muted. But again, we're kind of uh, still stuck in the trading range because this news today for the good exports just helps keep us on track for what we should be doing. It's not pushing us over and above the new demand category. Grain prices continued lower as an agreement was reached to extend the Black Sea Grain Corridor Agreement. And the announcement made by United Nations Secretary General welcomed the agreement by all parties to continue that Black Sea Grain Initiative. The announcement has been extended for another 120 days, and that has traders taking some risk premium out of this grain market. Abbott Futures market analyst Ron McDaniel said traders are expecting more grain on the market. The thing about the corridor, uh, there are some analysts think that it dumps a quick two to three million ton of wheat corn into the world market that's sitting there waiting to go. The big thing that's different about this corridor talk is it seems like the Russians are going to get their state bank approved to handle money. They would be exempt from the sanctions that they're working on right now. McDaniel says that means normal payment methods could be used. These shipments uh, can have the money flow uh, back and forth like normal commerce. There's also discussion with the UN about doing something about the high insurance you know, risk. I'm not sure what the UN can do about that, but there's some kind of... It just and The fact that this announcement came from the Ukrainian side seems to maybe, you know, it's not coming from Turkey thinking he can put a deal together. And the grain markets continue to take some of that uh, weather and war premium out of this market. Corn Belt Marketing market analyst Sam Hudson expects this market to remain rather sideways. However, basis could be where the biggest market moves come throughout the winter. I think we've uh, you know seen a really good push in the beans. You know, unfortunately, it's been at the expense of corn at the Gulf. Obviously, the river levels aren't doing us uh, any favors. And the Pacific Northwest, I think, will still have a market as well. Once that Gulf bid disappears, I still think you'll have a little bit of movement there. But after that, it's really going to become, uh, you know, based on South America's weather. If these world buyers get a sense that there's a risk that uh, they could have a shortfall, uh, keep in mind those acre, the acreage expansions already kind of written down. People are already expecting that. If there's any fear about yield, those world buyers, buyers will step up again and it'll help underpin our market, I think, for a while. But, uh, you know, there again, could be locked in a relatively wide trading range with, you know, maybe 1350 to kind of be the basement uh, for beans and, and probably 1535, that gap above the market, uh, to be the ceiling if we don't see anything crazy uh, happen down there. And regional shortages continue to prop up fuel prices while crude oil slid lower. Comstock Investments market analyst Joe Camps says lower energies will pressure these grain markets. We talk about a disparity in supplies like for diesel in the Northeast and what we're dealing with with 
a, a really diminished supply of the pro- fuel products, and that for one has been such a friendly storyline in the in the grain space, particularly for soybeans lately, because of the way it's driven soybean oil higher. We talk about uh, the future for expansion of oilseed processing demand, but right now there's just a lack of available supply and a huge incentive the way diesel prices have remained higher, and we'd think the same should generally extend to corn, and I'd say it does considering where we see basis values. You're listening to the Red River Farm Network. Good afternoon. Welcome to Inside Agriculture on the Red River Farm Network. Seed quality should be a primary concern for potato growers coming out of a dry year like 2022. Looking ahead at 2023, Syngenta Technical Development Lead Kieran Shetty says uh, protecting seed potatoes is the primary concern. If the seed for some reason is stressed due to dry conditions of the previous year, it's likely to have a much uh, quicker germination um, and also prone to certain diseases uh, uh, because it's uh, somewhat stressed. So uh, that may be an issue. And Shetty says uh, there are broad variety of pathogens, both from the seed stock and from the fields, that can attack the, the uh, seed potato. So to address this, the, the key point I'd like to make here, we try to bring products that have a broad application to cover most of these diseases. And so we have introduced a product called Cruiser Max Vibrance. And uh, it's called Cruiser Max Vibrance Potato because it's specifically designed for potatoes. Checking market numbers before we leave you this afternoon. We're seeing Minneapolis December wheat down 10 and 3 quarter cents at 9.54 and 3 quarters. March is down 12 at 9.62 and a quarter. Chicago December wheat down 10 and a quarter at 8.07 and a quarter. And Kansas City December wheat is down 18 cents at 9.37 and a half. December corn, three quarters of a penny higher at 6.66. March corn's down a half penny at 6.67. January soybeans down 13 and a quarter at 14.16. March soybeans down 14 cents at 14.20 and three quarters. January canola is now down $21 a metric ton, 861.40 Canadian. Thanks for joining us. Have a great afternoon. This is the Red River Farm Network.